Hey friends, welcome back to the Pastor Talk Podcast. Good to have you with us. Thanks for joining us as we begin a new series today on some of the books that have been important to us. And obviously, in the process of seminary and the education journey to be ordained as a pastor, there's a lot of reading. And we continue, both Michael and I continue to be people who value the contribution of thinkers and authors and scholars. And as we put this series together, we just thought, what would it look like for us to kind of highlight some of the books that have been important to us in our own faith journey um, from a leadership perspective, a little less than just simply books that have meant something to us. And we've tried to focus not so much on scholarly books, not on deep theological works or historical works, but on the kind of stuff you could find at Amazon, the kind of stuff in many cases you could find at, say, a Christian bookstore or Christian book distributors, something along those lines, things that are readable, things that are helpful. And we will try to group them uh, so that the order makes some sense. But it, we just thought that there might be readers out there who would enjoy some of the books that we have enjoyed. And so we hope this is helpful. We'll do our best to give you a pretty good summary of what the book is and why we like it. And we start today with Michael books I, I think you'd call kind of discipleship or Christian living, books that are designed to be helpful for people thinking about how it is that we live out our faith. Yeah, so uh, we're just hoping, you know, that maybe uh, you, in every conversation, maybe there's one book that strikes your attention. And, and the nice thing about having two different people is, you know, we've read different things and we have different preferences in our own reading. And so I, I think that's a little bit of the case here today. Um, I uh, was looking at this book here called Unchristian, which now uh, I think you would probably say, Clint, is actually uh, kind of old. It's a research book. At least it came out of research and it's published here in 2007. So in the world of research, you know, now we're, we're looking a few, few years out. But I remember reading this book, and it uh, it kind of, for me, uh, it put a little bit of a, a bookmark in the the topic of thinking about what others outside the church think about Christians. And the, the short synopsis of this, Clint, is that Barna did a research project where they surveyed people who were outside the Christian church as to what their impressions of Christians were. And then they collected that research, and then they filtered those down into a few key areas, sort of some of those themes that came up over and over again. And then the author does a little bit of work reflecting upon, you know, what the majority themes were, what some of the biblical uh, sort of uh, witness might have to say about some of those impressions that we have, and then maybe some ways that we could live into the future. Of course, that that like I said, that time snapshot was 2007. But what I think uh, it, this book did for me is, number one, it's very readable. This is the kind of book you you could easily read this in one or two sessions. Um, but what it did was introduce this majority question in my own mind, and that is, uh, as someone who has always lived firmly and deeply inside the church, for a moment, imagine that that's not your experience and that you're someone outside the church and you're looking in and, and you're only interaction with the church is maybe through news articles or maybe through family conversations at Thanksgiving. It is uh, for that very strange moment when you go to a wedding and it's inside a church. You know, if that's your experience of the world, 
What do you think about Christians and our witness? And uh, this book, I'm not going to lie to you, Clint, uh, it, it is challenging. Um, there, there are some things that, uh, there are some themes about the church that are, if you've been a lifelong Christian, maybe a little hard to read. They may sound pretty critical. I think the author tries to soften that, but um, certainly they're honest about the fact that not everyone views the church uh, with a positive lens. Yeah, I've not read that book, Michael, but my guess is that in 15 years that has only increased. It, it seems to me that in some circles, there is a kind of negative bias toward the church, some of which we've, we've probably earned, to be honest, and some of which I think we haven't, some of which I think is probably overdone. Is that the, is that the tone of this material? Does it tend to skew negative? Does it tend to highlight things that people think the church has gotten wrong or the places in which the church has unfortunately shown some hypocrisy? Uh, it, it seems to me that that would characterize a significant portion of the population's current assessment of the church. It, does that seem seem to be the case in that time frame as well? Yeah, you know the I, I, I'm not. I don't know the whole scope of that research project and exactly everything that they found, but I can tell you uh, some of these major themes. I'll just these are some chapters uh, that Christians are hypocritical, mm. uh, very very focused on getting you saved and a particular idea of what that means, uh, sheltered, uh, that, that Christians are very sheltered in our understanding of the world, that we're too political, that we're judgmental. Mm. Um, I, I would say each and every chapter does address these. And, and, you know, when you shine the light on some people's impressions of what the church is interested in, I mean, that, that is critical. It's um, certainly challenging. My experience was the author was not trying to beat us up. In other words, Christians. The author's not uh, trying to uh, make us feel bad, but rather to suggest maybe we should look in the lens of culture. Not not because that is going to be instructive of what we do or say. I mean, we, we're people who are driven by the gospel and our compulsion to serve in the name of Jesus Christ. But I think the strong point that has always stuck with me is if what other people see of our fellowship is judgmentalism, that does have something to say about how we're mm -hmm. communicating that and what impression uh, our faith and our discipleship is having. Um, so for me, I think that was a generative conversation that this book raised. And like I said, it's a relatively easy read. So if that's if you're a kind of person that likes nonfiction, maybe you're a person who finds research interesting, this would be a great book to open up. It's really interesting to think through the lens of what people who aren't us think about us. And on, on one hand, yeah, that may not be fair because there right. is a certain ignorance. And I don't mean that from a value perspective. Yeah. I mean, in, in the terms of unknown, there's things that you don't know. So on one hand, you only have your assumptions and your perceptions from which to make those evaluations. On the other hand, I, I think you bring up a good point, Mike. I mean, the church is to be conscious of our witness to the world. What is it that we present? Right. What is it that we look like to those on the outside? As, as you recall, reading through the book and interacting with some of those themes, do you remember at some point thinking it's fair, it's mm -hmm. unfair, we deserve that, we don't deserve that, that's too harsh? What was your sense of the accuracy of, of some of the evaluation from people 
who who are out on the outside? That's a really interesting question because I actually think that's a moving target. Mm. Um, so what I mean by that is we we who have been inside the church family for a long time know that there's a lot of families. There's a lot of diversity on that range. Yeah. And you know, if you know someone who is you know a Missouri Synod Lutheran, you know that that's very different from a Pentecostal, which is also very different from, let's say, a ELCA Lutheran or a Methodist, right? It's just there's a, a diversity of Christian voices. What struck me about this book, Clint, is so much of the cultural understanding of Christianity does seem to be derived from a a relatively few number of those Christian families. And, you know, if I'm going to give name to that, uh, certainly the more evangelical-leaning uh, church families, those who have generally emphasized theology, who have generally emphasized uh, a particular understanding of uh, certainly family, certainly culture, uh, you know, there's been some political interest over the last 30 years, and maybe that's even grown um, since this book has been written. But there's certainly, at least as these researchers, um, as they interpreted the data, and then they later came and they they offered some thoughts on top of it, their impression is uh, that some of the things uh, that culture has really begun to assume about Christianity flows out of some of those basic assumptions. And so, I think that's fair. In other words, Clint, I think that many of the culture's uh, reception of Christianity is true to some of those church families' theological convictions. What's interesting to me is, though, uh, certainly there are many Christians who would think differently on those matters, or Christians who would nuance it in interesting or different ways. And so, in those cases, I don't think it is incredibly fair. But it, uh, I don't know. Um, I, I certainly can't speak to it. I don't. I don't remember if the research, if uh, how extensively that they, they laid out. Um, you know, are there more uh, evangelical Christians numerically than there are other Christians for different stripes? I, I don't know some of the answers to that, but I do know. I felt like in some cases. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. That's a fair critique. In other places, I thought, well, I mean, that that's fair in some circumstances, but I don't think that's fair for the whole of the Christian witness. What's intriguing about that, I think, Michael, is it really becomes at some level, if, if you're going to say that we're going to talk to people who don't go to church, who don't have a church, who haven't been in a faith community, really that means you're going to talk to people who have received their information from somewhere else, right? And you think, well, where where are those places most likely to happen? One would be media, right. which is natural. But when does the church make the news? Yeah. <laughs> when, it, when, it, when it drops the ball, yeah. when it says or does something pseudo-offensive or perceived to be offensive, when it has shown hypocrisy— Right, that we don't make the news when we feed people. We don't make the news when we visit people. We don't make the news when we send missionaries to other places. We we make the news because of the way news works when we get it wrong. And so, almost by definition, you have a group whose perception is going to probably skew toward the negative. And then you think about well, who are the most outspoken Christians? In other words, a non-church person 
in, say, an urban area, who are they going to relate to that is from a Christian perspective? The street evangelist, Mm. the outspoken friend who is telling them, the Facebook persona, right? So it almost, by definition, sets us up for a kind of critical examination. And and I'm not saying that's unfair because, again, we've done some of that to ourselves. But it is interesting to think that if you're going to talk to people whose primary experience of church is outside of the church, they are likely to get maybe the negative part of our our family story. Right. So one of the things the authors do Hmm. is they, they say, this is where we, in the research, this is a theme that we think is consistent, and then they offer what they call a new perception or a a way that Christians might want to be perceived in the world. And uh, on the chapter of uh, politics, saying that Christians are too political, the new perception that they offer, this is, I want to just remind you, this is written in 2007, okay? So this is before, uh, you know, a lot of our um, more recent, you know, last five years kinds of conversations. Uh, This is what the authors say. That Christians might want to be perceived as respecting people, thinking biblically, and finding solutions to complex issues. I that could have been written today. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's exactly what I think the Christian family would want for ourselves: that we are deeply grounded in the Bible, that we uh, respect and care for everyone, including those that we might call our enemy. And and then, yeah, this idea that we are finding nuance and dealing with complex issues in the world, we are all aware of how complex the world is. And and that is, I think, a very helpful way to even in a book that was written, you know, 13, 14, 15 years ago, to begin to sort of engage with this idea of how might we want to be perceived in the world? Because that does have individual implications. It has for me. Uh, I know that as I've gone in my own faith development, I have at times asked myself, um, and I have family members, as I'm sure we all do, who who find themselves more on the outside of the church than they do on the inside. It makes me ask myself, what vocabulary do I use to describe my faith? When they ask me about what I do, uh, do I talk to them about the, the positives or do I share the frustrations with them? Do I share it with the moments I've got to see real transforma- transformation in people's lives? Uh, we talked about that a couple weeks ago as one of the joys of being pastor. Um, or do I share with them the frustrations of living with people in church? That It's easy for me to present the church in a way that's negative, because as with anything that we spend a lot of time with, we know the downsides as well as we know the upsides. Uh, but I think this book has helped me personally frame you know, this is thinking in a much more cultural way, right? Because this is big. This is researching thousands of people. But for me, it, it has instructed how do I, in the things that I choose to say, maybe more importantly, the choose the things I choose not to say, how do I represent the faith in the world? And I also want to just maybe quick slide in here. I don't want this to go too long. I think this is particularly personal in an age of social media. This book was not written mm-hmm. at the height of Facebook and Twitter and all these things. I, I think it is important for us as Christians to remember, we do have a witness to the world when we start sharing things and writing things, and we start putting our name, our profile picture next to a thing. So I do think there is some caution to be offered. There's really no... Uh, 
easier time in history for us to share things without realizing the impact it might have on those outside of our circle. Mm -hmm. And this book for me, certainly all the way back in that prior time to social media, it, it, it called me to think about maybe what what image of Christianity uh, I'm presenting by what I say and, and don't say. Yeah, yeah, and you know, the the risk is that it may skew toward the negative for the reasons sure. we've discussed, Michael. But I think the benefit is it, it is good to hear an outside perspective because in that you're most likely to confront your own blind spots. You know, think of a church where some where a visitor comes in and says, "I." I your church is hard to, I don't know where things are. And we say, of course, well, the bathroom's over there and the nursery's over there. Right. And they say, but you don't have signs. Right. And we think, well, we didn't need signs because we all know. We all know where it's at. Yeah. Or no. or we don't know when to stand up and sit down. And those things that inside the community we can kind of take for granted, I do think that outside perspective is helpful because it forces us to say, oh, we we didn't think about it. Yeah. from that perspective, because we all know that in here. We all know there's differences in the family. We all know that there's left and right, and you have to try and balance it. But an outsider helps us maybe take stock of what some of those things are, maybe some of our blind spots and some of our opportunities that are in those blind spots to send a better message or to engage in conversation in a way that's helpful. That's that's really interesting. I, I think it's worth the risk. So. The book is unchristian. Uh, it is once again uh, published 2007. I'll put this if you're interested in this, if you're a research-minded person, or if you find the idea of thinking uh, about the inside experience of the church from an outsider's perspective, and you would like to engage with this. I'll certainly put a link to where you can pick this up uh, on Amazon. Uh, I'm sure you can get this used in lots of different places now that's a, a few uh, years out of um, its original publishing date. Um, but yeah, definitely if uh, you're interested in research and that seems interesting, unchristian, take a look at it. Great. Thanks, Michael. Um, I kind of did a two for today. So I, I brought two books with me, both by the same author, a man named Philip Yancey. Uh, one is called The Jesus I Never Knew. The other one is What's So Amazing About Grace. Um, I think both of these books were fairly popular in their release, um, particularly What's So Amazing About Grace, I think was a really pretty uh, good seller for Philip Yancey. Um, I've, they're both a little dated. I think 95 and 97 are the publication years. So they've been around a long time, maybe um, you've read them. I think they were both used in churches. There are study guides that go with them, I believe. But what I like about Philip Yancey is he writes almost like a preacher, um, chapter to chapter, and even within the chapters, there are good illustrations. There's a, a almost a kind of sermon quality to some of his material. And I would say these are easy reads, Except that I would also say that as I read them, particularly, uh, well, no, I think in both cases, as I read them, I would find myself stopping fairly regularly to think something over. So it, it's not complex, it's not deep, it, it's, but it is thought-provoking, it is challenging. Um, I kind of have a habit when I hit something in a book that I want to keep. I dog ear the pages. This is my actual, my second copy of this one. My first one kind of worn, got worn out and I had dog eared 
um, maybe hundreds of pages in this book. I, I just some of that was sermon illustrations. There's just a lot of good in there. I'll start with what's so amazing about grace. You know, obviously, if we're going to talk inside the church, Michael, grace is a word we use all the time, graciousness, the grace of Christ. And I I think we can do that almost without thinking deeply about what it means. And so as Yancey takes that challenge on, he tries to unpack this word by giving us pictures of it, by giving us... um, the history of it, the challenge of it. This is very much a call to incorporate grace in our life, what it is and what it isn't. Yancey's own experience is with a very conservative church in his childhood, and he he honestly uh, assesses that in this book and says that he didn't see much grace in the tradition of Christianity he learned and that he struggled with that. And I think it's a, a wonderful call. I I won't say that this book made me think about grace as a theological topic. What I think I appreciated about this book, Michael, is it I felt it challenged me as a Christian how I could live more graciously, how I could exhibit grace and extend grace, also receive it, but I think more so for me at least, how I could offer it to others in the way I react and the way I live. And um you know, again, this is a dated book. Some of the some of the illustrations are going to read a little out of time, but we are only more in need, by my assessment, right. of Christians struggling to be gracious than we have been. It is not a gracious time, and I think though an, a little bit older book, it does offer us a pretty significant challenge of how to live out this word that we put so much stock in inside the church. You, you've you said it's not so much a theology book. It reads somewhat like a sermon. It sounds like it's not a devotional, but it has devotional leanings. Is that fair? Yeah. You know, he does some things where he kind of sets off uh, a story and then he'll unpack it. So you could read... I. I won't I it would be hard to say you could read two pages a day or four pages a day but it is in chunks and you could easily make this a kind of d- daily or weekly devotional it's the kind of book you could pick up and put down you wouldn't need to read it in one setting in fact I th- I think you'd miss something if you did this is a the kind of book I would say is good to spend some time with um I think you'll find yourself highlighting some things marking down some things it's a it's a sort of a buffet. I mean, there is theology in it. There's some church history in it. There's discipleship in it. It's just kind of all over the place, and it's really it it's really pretty good. I, I mean, I think if you're a narrative person, you'll find that in it. If you're a kind of careful, deliberate thinker, you'll find moments of that in it. And I think you know he's done a nice job in my estimation of ringing that that central bell of grace and then looking for the ways in which it it moves out or the ripples it creates and what it would mean for those who seek to be gracious. Yeah, and, and like, like you say, I mean, is there a more timely topic for the church to engage deeply in than the idea of grace? I mean, we we have in our cultural conversation so much about 
uh, sort of lashing out and dogpiling others and argument. The idea that a Christian would take some time to really focus on the center of a gift given to all of us, which we're called to share with others, that comes freely with, with no work or privilege attached to it. I mean, that that is very much so uh, one of the core parts of the gospel message that needs heard today. Well, to dovetail this with the book that you just highlighted, Unchristian, I, I think that unfortunately, many people's perception or experience of Christians and church is not particularly grace-filled. They, right. they see Christians right. arguing with non-Christians. They see Christians arguing with one another. They hear Christians saying very unkind and very ungracious things to and about one another. And I, I think Yancey gives us, you know, I said this is a little dated, but it is a, a timely book in that we are always called to think deeply and pursue passionately how we can incorporate grace in how we interact with one another and and the face that we show to the world, hopefully in the name of Jesus. And, and this book convicts us where we haven't, and I think encourages us to do more uh, where, even where we have. So I find this helpful. Um, it's like I said, it, it's uh, it's not something that's difficult to read. You're not going to encounter things. This is not. This is not a theological unpacking of the the word grace. This is a what does grace look like in the way that we live and in the way that we treat one another, and how can we get it right more often because we've often gotten it wrong. And I, I would, I yeah, I think people would. I, I can't imagine you wouldn't find something in this that would be yeah. helpful. Yeah. Uh, well, so talk to us about the other book. Yeah. So he he uh, has his second book. He's written a lot of stuff. And in some ways, Yancey is consistent as a writer. I think he, he comes from the same kind of perspective, most books. This is a really interesting one called The Jesus I Never Knew. And he writes this out of an experience of kind of realizing that as it came to his own understanding of Jesus, we receive that in our own context. And sometimes when we receive it in our context— we underestimate the context in which Jesus was a product of his own environment. So um, it, I don't want to, th- this isn't quite fair, but I would say, Michael, that he he stumbles upon this when he he makes a comment, something to the extent of that he drastically underestimated Jesus' mm. Jewishness. Mm. That he never thought seriously about the fact that Jesus kept a kosher diet, that Jesus went to the synagogue, that Jesus kept the Sabbath, that Jesus lived as a first century Jew, that we, we tend to, in the American church and the Western church, I think we've tended to highlight that idea of Jesus as a spiritual figure and maybe less so as a historical, physical figue. And so... Yancey kind of says that in his own experience, he felt like he had overdone the idea that Jesus was kind of like we are. And and as he dug in, he was moved by how helpful it was to understand who Jesus would have been in the world he lived, the kind of things he said. You know, the very parables he told were things of his own world. And if we can understand that, Yancey thinks that it gives us a better vision 
of who Jesus is and was on both sides of that fence, the spiritual incarnate Christ and the living man they called rabbi in first century Galilee. And so I, I, I found it helpful. Um, it's not, it's not life changing. Um, it's not controversial. Uh, but I think it's a way in which, in my experience, the average American Presbyterian, Iowan, 21st century Christian believer hasn't been pushed to think mm-hmm. about Jesus. And I found it really helpful in that regard. I, I, eye-opening, I think it could be to some. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you and I have probably had an opportunity to run into those ideas a little more outside of the church, say in, in the education process. But inside the church, I don't, I don't know that this comes up yeah. a lot in people's experience. And I, and I think Yancey's done us a favor by holding the lens up to it and saying, hey, let's think about right. what that meant that Jesus lived at a particular time and place, and, and what do we know about that time and place, and how does it inform who we understand him to have been and to be? You know, Clint, what's really interesting about the New Testament is how many times we see Jesus engaging with the people of his own culture. We often call them the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And if you read the gospel accounts, Jesus is fighting with them all the time. So there's a sense in which we get the impression, thousands of years removed, that Jesus was in some ways railing against the culture that surrounded him. What we forget is he was doing that on Sabbath. He was doing it inside the sanctuary. He was he was arguing not with people who he considered to be different, but rather who he was part of. He was being called rabbi, teacher. I, I think we do uh, maybe find a temptation uh, 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 some years removed, and certainly with vastly different cultural experiences. I think we we maybe just make this assumption, well, yeah, Jesus's experience was something like mine. But I think that you're, that's an exactly helpful frame. What's interesting is um, how you've described Yancey. It sounds like he's a very accessible writer, uh, someone who maybe the vocabulary is, is readable. The ideas are going to be something that you'll feel comfortable with. But that doesn't mean that you'll always be comfortable with that content. I mean, there may be moments where it, both with grace and the truth of who Jesus is, I, it's sounding to me like we might be challenged in both of those accounts. Uh, absolutely, I think you know these aren't these aren't seminary textbooks. These are very readable for lay people, but they are challenging for everyone. I, I think that you know we have tended to think of Jesus as the sort of universal Christ, and that's great. That's that's correct. But I think we have sometimes sacrificed the idea of Jesus, the particular man who who says something like, go show yourself to the priest, because right. that's the law of his day, and who you know, makes the references that he does, uses the idioms of his world, the phrases of his world, the language of his world. And I think Yancey does a nice job. If you've not ever thought about that, this would be a great entrance into that conversation and into that theme. And I think that it's it's pretty helpful. I, I don't think this detracts. I don't think he's arguing. He's not making a case that you should think about Jesus like this instead of like that. He's simply saying, can mm-hmm. we expand and can we include? You know, Michael, and I mean the classic example, not, not to be trite, but when we look at 
our own depictions of Jesus. You know, the long hair, the lighter skin, the white robe. And just this pushes back on that idea a little bit and reminds us that we would have seen Jesus as his peers did, a, a Middle Eastern man of the first century, dark hair, dark eyes, dark skin, an, a man who lived outside, a man who didn't, you know, go home every night, it, just a man who went from synagogue, traveled from town to town, kind of nomadic. Uh, it just, I, I found it, I've, I found it helpful and I found that people who have, again, maybe for whom that's kind of a new idea. This is a real eye-opening book, and I and I, I don't think offensive. I don't think troubling. I think helpful. You know, Clint, as the conversation continues here, what strikes me is, uh, and we we did try to sort of group our books in ways mm-hmm. that seemed that they made sense, but but maybe as we've had this conversation now, what strikes me is there there is a, a nice synchronicity be- between those these. Uh, the thing that they all share is they're all going to uh, be – really accessible, but they're going to also encourage you to think and to grow in some thoughts in places where maybe you haven't uh, put some thought, whether that be uh, with UnChristian here and you're thinking about what culture thinks of Christianity and what we do and say in the world that's watching, or whether you're doing that with the uh, this deep, rich heritage of the theology of grace, or you're doing this with the idea of who is Jesus and what impact does his culture and his time have on our understanding of who the Savior is? I mean, I, I think, uh, would you say it's fair, Clint, that honestly, if any one of these books sort of resonates with, oh, I'd be interested in being challenged there or learning more about that thing or thinking a little more deeply about that area, any one of these three would be a good choice. Yeah, I think partly why we started with these, Michael, I think all three of these books would be relatively easy to read. Right. Um, they're going to be engaging. They're, they're going to be helpful. Yeah. I, I think, you know, if you're, if you at a point where you'd like to start reading something that is explicitly Christian or comes from a Christian vantage point, I think these would all three be good books to pick up and maybe spend a little time with. I, I think you'd be. I think you'd be glad you did. So want to make sure you all know, once again, uh, all three of these books, we'll put links directly to them in the description of the video and on the podcast. That makes it easy for you to at least see the cover and, um, you know, whether you buy it from there or not, that that's totally up to you. Um, but definitely, if you're interested in these, uh, be sure to pick one up. I, I know we'd both love to hear what you think, you know, so come back, yeah. uh, put it in the comments. There's a, a link there uh, where you can actually send us a direct message if that is more comfortable for you. Uh, of, co- of course, come on in if you're in the Spirit Lake area, come to the office, give us a phone call. We'd love to chat with you about your experience of these books. Uh, and then that said, if these are not for you, uh, that's fine. In this series, we're going to explore different genres of books that we think may be interesting. So uh, if one of these uh, didn't resonate, uh, come back next week because we'll have a, a whole new selection of books that may resonate. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, just don't only uh, to reinforce that, if you pick one of these up and read it, you have some thoughts, we'd love to continue the conversation. Appreciate your time. Thanks for listening, and we hope it's helpful.